Coming up next on Tech News Weekly, I'm Jason Howell, and I start things off talking with Emily Drybelbis from PCMag. She talks all about Amazon's new AI offering for business uh, with a single letter Q. Mm, and I'm Micah Sargent, and I am joined by Dan Morin of SixColors.com to talk about Name Drop, that feature that has local police a little concerned, but don't worry, it's not something you need to worry about. Yeah, should should it be worrisome? I don't think so. Also, there's a study that caught my eye that's all about technology trends in the UK. Specifically, it focuses at least a part of it on AI trends and the youth of the UK, and apparently Gen Z is all in on generative AI. Hmm. And I round out the show with a PSA. If you've got a Google account, you might want to log in if you haven't used it in a while. It's all of that coming up on Tech News Weekly. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Tech News Weekly, episode 313, recorded Thursday, November 30th, 2023. Busting the name drop FUD. This episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by our friends, IT Pro TV, now ACI Learning. IT skills are outdated in about 18 months. Launch or advance your career today with quality, affordable, entertaining training. Individuals use code TWIT30 for 30% off a standard or premium individual IT Pro membership at go.acilearning.com slash TWIT. And by Discourse, the online home for your community. Discourse makes it easy to have meaningful conversations and collaborate anytime, anywhere. Visit discourse.org slash twit to get one month free on all self-serve plans. Hello and welcome to Tech News Weekly, the show where every week we talk to and about the people making and breaking the tech news. I am one of your ho-ho hosts, Micah Sargent. Dang, I wasn't prepared for that. (laughs) I'm the other guy, Jason Howell. Yeah, we walked into the studio today and it's like covered in Christmas cheer. Yes. It, but it's not December yet. Like, what's what's going on? The holidays are here. Regardless of... <laughs> we're post-Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, we're post-Thanksgiving. The holidays are here. Whatever end-of-year holidays you celebrate, they often involve pine trees and, and pine glitter. cones and glitter and, and glitter cranberries. glitter everywhere. Yes. It looks really good. It so does. big props to the folks who were here last night decorating the studio, getting me ready for Christmas, and uh, getting us ready for this show, because we've got some really great stuff to talk about. Starting, let's start with, what? where do we always spend our time these days? Could it be artificial intelligence? It's artificial, and it involves intelligence. <laughs> um, this time, though, we're talking a little bit about Amazon, and maybe Amazon's a little late to the party. I don't know. That's one way you could look at this, I suppose. But Amazon officially announced its own AI assistant. It's really designed, though, not for general consumer. It's really designed for the workplace. They call it Amazon Q. The Q, in my opinion, stands for questionable choice of letters in the year 2023. Um, but Emily Drybelvis wrote about this new chatbot for businesses uh, for PC Mag and is here to talk about it. Welcome back, Emily. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Great to get you here. This is, okay, we got to start with the letter of this thing, um, which, I mean, some people might look at this and be like, okay, wow, that's a that's a waste of time even even considering this. But I feel like it's a little strange to name your product the, the, the simple letter Q in this day and age. Um, and and Amazon's not alone in this. OpenAI also had had Q Star. What is the deal with the whole Q naming thing? Like, how are, how is what is the explanation or story around this? If you happen to know, 
I can't explain it beyond that it stands for question, which is a very utilitarian name, which is very Amazon in its own way. So the point of the product is to answer questions. Yeah. Um, when I first heard it, I thought of QAnon. Yes. I don't know what you first. That's, what did you first think of? I mean, that's yeah. You you put the finger on the on the buzzer buzzer right there. I'm, that's the. That's the uh, whatever the, the example that resi- that resides in the last couple of years around the letter Q that makes me really just surprised that not one but multiple tech companies are actually choosing this as a letter to represent their major AI product. But I guess if they're you know if they're marketing it as as a spin on question or questionable, I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. other people have thought of there's a Star Trek character named Q. There's a James Bond character named Q. Okay. So uh, it's right. a it's a big week for the letter Q, which yeah. I guess as yeah. X has been usurping its like letter spotlight. So yeah, that's true. It's, it's Q's turn. Okay. Yeah. All right. So those are two letters that we should not name any products anymore. <laughs> you know, going forward in perpetuity. So let's talk about what it actually is. Then Amazon Q, um, like I said. Designed more for business, right? Who's who is the target uh, market for this? It, like within business, is this just anyone using Amazon's cloud products, and it kind of ropes into that? Or how did Amazon explain who their target audience is for this? Yes, exactly. I think it's a very of this moment product for AI. The industry seems to be kind of going towards more private, secure chatbots that are customized to a use case. So mm-hmm. if you think about a business, they're really concerned about their data. They're really concerned about how their employees are going to use it and how they're regulating that. So what this does is it allows businesses to pump in all of their data and then different people and different job functions can use it to assist with their job. And the two examples Amazon gave are related to AWS cloud products. One is their customer service um, product, which is called Amazon Connect. So let's say you work at a hotel chain in customer service and you're answering questions about you know, privacy policy, room policies, cancellation policies. Theoretically, somebody could just go to their Amazon. The agent could go to their Amazon Q instance. They could look up r- information related to that question and then hopefully more quickly answer the person on the lines question or, or an email. Um, one, there are businesses that are using it. So they said Accenture, BMW, um, and a couple other companies I had not heard of are using Amazon Q. One of them reported that its customer service agents are able to answer questions 10 to 15 times, 10 to 15% faster. So that's the goal there. But Really, the goal is more for the developers and on the AWS side. So this claims to be an expert in AWS um, answering questions about it at all phases of the product cycle. So Amazon is really leaning into its competitive advantage there. And Mm -hmm. a lot of its press release and a lot of what we know about it is related to developers. Okay. Now, um, how then does this compare to what we've seen? Because like you said, like this feels like the very like now actually totally unrelated, but kind of kind of an eye-opening moment for me this morning. I realized that uh, ChatGPT's one-year birthday is today. Oh, so oh. within a year, we've gone from, oh, what is this ChatGPT thing uh, that, that people can start to use? Oh, that's so curious. To, you know, all of the different kind of maturations and, and kind of uh, developments that have happened in AI. And right now, the last, I'd say, couple of months, maybe even less, kind of moment for AI has been these very specific yet sophisticated uh, chatbots that can, you know, that you can train on specific tasks instead of them being all expert or air quotes expert on everything. We can focus it. Um, how, you know, based on what Amazon has talked about, 
these chatbots and how learnable they are for very specific use, use cases. How does that compare to some of the others that we've seen from, you know, like the GPTs and the others out there? Yep. Yeah. I mean, you're spot on. That's how I'm interpreting the evolution of the industry, especially in the last year. I just published an article today on like five things you need to know about chat GPT and where the industry is going. And the last one is exactly the point you just made. Um, so Amazon, it's definitely the release. I found it to be very practical. I liked how they gave a, a portrait of how companies could use this. They said there's, you know, 40 different ways to upload data, whether it's through Dropbox or you have a, a database in Redshift or even Google Drive, Microsoft 365. So they made it very clear how to use it, which is something I haven't necessarily found with Microsoft's Copilot or ChatGPT's Enterprise, which are kind of the competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably, they all work similarly, but I, I liked Amazon's announcement in that sense. It felt like a step forward in terms of educating people on this. Um, and they all have very similar pricing. So ChatGPT, they have their plus plan which is $20 a month, which is where you would get those GPTs, those custom AIs that they announced right before all the drama with Sam Altman. Hmm. Um, and then Amazon's version of it, their queue is also $20, but it's $25 for all the developer features. And that's really who they want to be buying the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's per person. So if you're at a company that has 50 engineers, you're going to spend 25 times 50 per month. So I guess for bigger corporations, let's say um, like a bigger tech company, you'd have to kind of weigh like, oh, I could build a chatbot myself. And that's probably what all these companies are asking themselves. Like how much would it be for us to fine tune an open source model? Mm-hmm. Um, there's really good ones out there. We could do that, maybe like ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. Or we could just use what Amazon is offering and how much would that cost? Who would need the licenses in our organization? And so that's kind of the choice they're being presented. And personally, I think Amazon, uh, if it works, is offering a, a very timely product, at least as far as where AI is now. And I think it's about as as good of a shot as they have. And just the yeah. question is, does it does it work? Yeah, and they have the they certainly have the resources to put behind to, you know, continue mm-hmm. to iterate that when you're kind of spelling out, you know, do we make our own or do we kind of go with Amazon's solution? Like I have a feeling the way things are progressing so quickly with with AI and chatbot technology and everything right now, that Amazon has the resources to really put behind this and create kind yeah. of a compelling roadmap going forward that keeps people, you know, feeling like that's a, that's a worthy investment. What about the security and privacy of, of this data? That always seems to be at least a part of the question when you're talking about businesses in a, in a situation where they have to share largely, you know, potentially company secrets and things that they don't want anyone else to have even a finger, you know, on the surface of yet. This is a service that, you know, in order to be truly effective for certain uh, applications within your business, you do need to share that information. So what is what is Amazon's assurances around that? The big thing is that the model will not train on the data that it's fed. Yeah, so it's that was standard. what <laughs> pretty standard. Yeah. So you don't want companies to be sharing their trade secrets, have all their employees asking questions about some new big project or initiative and giving it data about it. And then the model trains on that and either regurgitates it verbatim to someone else at another company or kind of subconsciously learns from it and starts like steering people in that direction. I mean, you don't know what it's going to do with the information and products like the free chat GPT explicitly state in their privacy policy. We cannot guarantee that won't happen. Mm-hmm. So that's the product, the problem with that. And a lot of 
organizations have banned use of ChatGPT, the free version, for that reason. So Amazon is saying it won't do that. Um, that's also what ChatGPT's enterprise product promises and Microsoft's Copilot. So that seems to be the big thing. Um, Amazon also spelled out different permissions for different users. So again, let's say you're the hotel chain. You want your customer service agents to only be referring to pol- like customer service policies. You don't want them to be answering questions about like annual sales data. And you don't even want that to, to come up at mm-hmm. all for them because that's it's not useful. And it could be odd to communicate that publicly as part of an answer to a customer. So they're saying you can go in and, and set all these settings and these roles and fine tune the model to be perfect for everybody. And of course, solve all the problems in every use case Mm -hmm. (laughs) people are saying AI can do. And I don't know how much work it would take for a company to set this up. Um, And it maybe depends on how big the company is. If, you know, Hilton hotels, they have a million departments. I don't know how they would use it. So it's all very preliminary um, and it's only available in preview now. So, Uh, I think it's it's more to come. And the big question is, does it work and is it easy to use? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well, we'll look at We'll certainly be following that to to kind of see how it does. I mean, it's a company like Amazon with this insane cloud, cloud infrastructure and an AI offering that seems to, at, at least on its surface, based on what we know now, uh, seems to keep pace with what the others in this industry are doing. So that that right there is going to be a winning combination for a lot of people. Before we let you go, what is the what is the deal with Bedrock? Because Bedrock is kind of a part of the underlying architecture here. It's more like a it's more like it's not tied to any specific AI model. It's really like a um, I don't know a potpourri uh, of sorts. But how does that integrate with this, and and what kind of advantage does that carry with it? Yeah. So just really quickly, one last privacy thing. Amazon has a long tradition of handling private data. So if you think of the the sophistication of the organizations that are using AWS, like they're already giving Amazon a lot of data. So in a sense, this should follow as a natural extension. And Mm. I don't know if they don't trust Amazon, they wouldn't be using Amazon AWS anyway. Very good point. And like, one just personal anecdote, like my fiance is a software engineer who builds on AWS and he spends a lot of his time asking ChatGPT to summarize AWS documentation. Mm. So this is very much a need and Amazon is just kind of like bringing it in-house for their customers. Yeah. And so I just wanted to add that because that helped me understand yeah. it a little bit. And that'll win a lot of people over. Absolutely. They're already in yeah. the ecosystem. So, yeah. Exactly. And so for Bedrock, sorry about that. No, for Bedrock, it... um. It seems to be some kind of like quilt of AI models and the user, of course, should should never be expected to know what all of them do. But the user just, you know, they just want good answers. So it appears on the back end, Amazon will somehow call or incorporate the right model. And that could be like Meta's Llama 2, which is an, a top rated AI model that's open source that anyone can theoretically download and start fine tuning. So yeah, Amazon's going to use it. And then uh, there's Anthropic. They have a model. So that is kind of part of Bedrock's quilt. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you have more information on this, but just all that has been communicated that, that I've seen is that they have a bunch of different ones in there yeah, and no. they will find the right one for you. Yeah. I mean, that then that right there sounds compelling as opposed to, you know, some yeah. other services that are really just I mean, I can see benefits and, and disadvantages, I suppose, to to both sides, either the broad strokes approach or the very narrow. This is just, you know, yep. our our stuff. Right. So, well, Amazon is master of scale. Yeah, so for sure. <laughs> they, yeah. 
So I used to work for Amazon. I was a product manager there. So this all makes, I'm reading them like a book. Like I get it. (laughs) This is, this is, this is classic and it's, it's making sense. And like I said, we'll just see. And I guess my summary of the situation is that it's just emblematic of the trend towards secure, safe, private, customizable, workplace focused chatbots that will cost you 20 to $30 a month. Yeah. Could be the best money you've ever spent. I don't know. Yeah. Love the summary. And Emily, love having you on the show. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Emily Drybebus at uh, PC Mag. So everybody should follow your work over there. Thank you so much, Emily. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. We will talk to you soon. All right. And coming up next, iOS 17's name drop. A controversy? Would you call it a controversy? Is it a controversy? Is it a gate? Is, Who knows? is the question of it being a controversy controversial? controversial? Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> we'll find out in a moment. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Wix. Web agencies, if you're out there watching, you're going to like this one. Let me tell you about Wix Studio. This is the platform that gives agencies total creative freedom to deliver complex client sites while still smashing those deadlines. And I can tell you a little bit about how they do that. First, let's talk about the advanced design capabilities. With Wix Studio, you can build unique layouts with a revolutionary grid experience. And you can watch as those elements scale proportionally by default. That's not like an extra bonus thing you have to figure out. It just happens. No code animations uh, as well. That adds sparks of delight while using uh, custom CSS actually gives you total design control. And that's not even like the end of it. You can bring ambitious client projects to life in any industry with a fully integrated suite of business solutions from e-com to events, bookings, and more, and extend the capabilities even further with hundreds of APIs and integrations. You know what else? The workflows, they just make sense. There's the built-in AI tools, the centralized workspace, the on-canvas collaborating, reuse of assets across sites, seamless client handover, the list goes on. Uh, So that's not all. You you definitely want to check it out for yourself and find out more by going to wix.com slash studio. That's wix.com slash studio. We thank them for their support of Tech News Weekly. Over to Micah. Yes, it is time to talk about the controversy. Well, (laughs) we shall see. I think what ends up being controversial here is how sometimes news gets spread and is spread in a way that it doesn't include the full context. Panic. Uh, Panic. Uh, What is it? FUD. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And what we aim to do here is bust the FUD. Mm. Uh, We want to stop folks from panicking, uh, from worrying about what ends up being a feature that is not something to worry about. So joining us here to talk about that and help us bust the FUD is Six Colors, uh, what is it, East Coast Bureau Chief, Dan Morin. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hi, Micah. Fudbusters is my favorite I love it. casual restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Fudbusters. Fud. Uh, so let's let's bust that FUD. Let's start by talking about what we're talking about. It's name drop. And it's not that annoying thing that your friend does because they've seen lots of celebrities and want to tell you about them. Uh, it is a feature that is added in iOS 17. So tell us a little bit about the feature before we even get into what the panic is about. Yeah, name drop is a feature that Apple uh, put out there that it's supposed to do away with that awkward dance that we've all done where it's like, all right, I'll send you my phone number and then you'll call me and then I'll have your contact and you'll have my contact. 
that's annoying, right? We all get frustrated with that. So the idea is essentially you take two iPhones running iOS 17, you bring them close together, a little animation happens, and it's like, hey, do you want to share your contact details with this person? Uh, it is very secure. It is used, like, it requires proximity. You have to be really close to someone to do it, and it requires you to actually say, yes, I want to do this. But it is a great way to exchange contact details. This isn't a feature that's wholly new to Apple, obviously. I think Samsung had something that was very similar at one point, and there was even an iOS app many years ago that did something very similar but yes that's yeah. that's it in a nutshell you don't have to go and figure out how to send somebody your information you just go hey here's my phone there's your phone we're done uh very cool to see this feature added finally um as you as you pointed out you know the this kind of system has has worked in the past and uh in this case it's kind of an extension of airdrop uh which is why they do call this feature name drop and what ended up happening was um, there was a post, this always seems to happen. There was a post going around on Facebook. Um, at least this is one way that it was kind of spreading. And it suggested that name drop was something you should disable on phones and Apple watches. Uh, because if you had this feature turned on, then someone could essentially come up to your phone, put their phone near yours, and then get your contact information. So to kind of like skim your details. And they talked about how this was, you know, a privacy concern, a, a, a security concern. And it went from being on Facebook to having like sheriff's offices and police officers, police uh, places i can't even think what it's called um, departments we you, like police departments there i like places though uh, police places um all talking about hey you know issuing alerts this is what you need to be worried about uh etc cetera, etc cetera. and then from there as always happens it made its way into local news which then makes its way into the homes of people who aren't as versed in this stuff as we are who don't know as much as we do about how this stuff actually works and doesn't so let's talk about that can someone walk up to your phone or your Apple Watch, hold their phone near it, and then get get your phone number? No. Short answer, no. Uh, longer answer is, I mean, as we just discussed, this is something that requires positive action on the part of the person sharing their details. So in order for that to happen, they need to have your phone, and I believe they they also need to unlock yep. it. So they would need to have your passcode as well. So... All of those things put together suggest to me it's basically, if not impossible, I mean, by this point, they have your phone if they're doing that and your passcode. You have many bigger problems at mm -hmm. that point. So this is not a thing that is being done by as like a drive-by. People are not like bumping up against you in the subway and all of a sudden they have all your contact details. So I think Apple has taken reasonable precautions here in terms of making sure this is something that is not inherently insecure in any way and that it does require users to know about it and, uh, you know, actually do things. I will say, I was on MacBreak Weekly this week, and Jason Snell tried to demo this in person. And guess what? It's also a little wonky at times. So it, <laughs> it took some work to actually get it to show up. Uh, so it is not as easy as just sort of like, I'm just going to walk down the street and steal everybody's contact information as I go by. Yeah, both phones have to be unlocked. Um, you then bring them together. If contact information already exists between the two devices, it won't go through the process because it's not for adding new information. It's for, or it's not for uh, updating contacts. Updating. Yeah, for, I tried this with my wife the other night, actually, because I was testing it for an unrelated, totally unrelated thing. And we could not get it to work until we removed our contact information from <laughs> each other's phones and then did it. So, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, oh, good that he finally got it working. And then uh, the other aspect of this is if you do it with an Apple Watch, you actually have to go in as far as opening up the Contacts app on the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. So you can't just do it from the contact or from the the main home screen of the Apple Watch. You got to go into the app itself. Uh, so it is uh, far more involved. Now, let's talk about this sort of thing in general. Um, I want this little section of the show to be something that people can share to do multiple instances of FUD busting. But I also think that it's an opportunity to talk about how this stuff gets spread in the first place and maybe what could have been done differently. Is there something that uh, one of these one of the people at one of these police places or that uh, those are right next to the pizza places. <laughs> one of the yeah. journalists could have done to learn a little bit more about name drop. Like does Apple have any support documentation or uh, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think you pointed out, you kind of hit the nail on the head before when you said uh, people who don't know as much about technology aren't as well versed in this kind of thing. I, uh, you know, I would include amongst that, the police departments because i think oftentimes they are as anybody who's ever tried to maybe track down a stolen item with an air tag or something like that or deal with instances of cyber crime a lot of local police departments are not well versed in technology overall um so you can check out there is a a sort of you know the ios 17 manual on Mm -hmm. apple's site and it has the used name drop on your iPhone to share your contact info section. And it basically explains all the things you need to do uh, in order for this to happen. So this is something I feel like anybody could have looked up, uh, even, you know, Googled around a little bit and found this information. I am sure there are a lot of other resources at other sites since iOS 17 just came out. A lot of sites, you know, cover all these new features. Many of our favorite Apple related sites, Mac World, uh, Mac Rumors, 95 Mac. A lot of these places had written up little tutorials on using all the new features in iOS 17. Um, but I think, unfortunately, a lot of times the sort of bad news virality takes hold much before logic does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's one of those challenges with people who are like so breathlessly uh, reporting this story before they actually take the time to look into how much of a reality is. And I mean, this is not unusual or limited even to technology. I mean, we have all seen things spread around in recent years that involve uh, dubious claims, uh, the classic, you know. <laughs> Things there we've been putting the candy bars and Halloween right. and the oh, likes yeah, of that, right? Like yeah. none of that ever pans out. Uh, so a lot of times it's just people want to get up in arms and make people make people fud. Is that fud, a verb? Yeah. Did I use it right? You no, I don't what? think I did. Look, we've got police places and fud is a verb. It's all it works. Um, all right. So then. Did you upon learning about this and now that you know everything that's involved and the, the the true state of things, are you going to go in and turn off name drop in your settings? And do you recommend that other people do that? Mm, I'm definitely not. I would have no reason to recommend to anybody else that they turn it off. Again, this is a feature I think has a lot of utility. Um, I don't think it's actually a significant security concern. I would say if nothing else, this is an opportunity for Apple to think about how it introduces features like this. Mm-hmm. Because I think, and this is something they've worked on a bit in their most recent operating systems. They now have a system called TipKit, which basically uh, you know, surfaces feature information as you discover it more organically. Uh, and that way you might have a situation where Apple could, you know, the first time 
you you know try to share a contact or somebody could say hey did you know there's an easier way to do this and it's secure etc uh something that's sort of in context to the action itself rather than just leaving people discovered on their own and not really understanding the full impact of it all right let's uh let's i have two more kind of things that get shared around that uh have <laughs> and that they need to be busted. Uh, the first one is a very common, but again, I want to make this this little section of the show like a resource that people can share. So I'm sitting at home and I just got done talking uh, with my mom about an upcoming uh, trip we plan to take to, uh, I don't know, uh, Alaska. <laughs> I see where this is going, Micah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I've got, I talked to her about Alaska and um, she's visiting. Okay. So she's quite literally there in person. We're talking about Alaska. And later on, um, we're watching a show, which means that we're actually just scrolling on our phone while the show is playing in the background. And Instagram starts serving me ads that have to do with visiting Alaska. Visit Alaska, see a bear. That's what they say. Um, so, <laughs> So Classic Alaska. <laughs> straight from the Alaska Tourism Board. Um, so, I do like bears. I would like to see a go. bear, see? I guess. Sure. That's all you got to do. Got to go to Alaska. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was my phone listening to me, Dan? And if it wasn't listening to me, then how should the it heck be? does it, should it, be, should it be listening, listening to you? To and should it be caring about your feelings? Does your phone, should your phone not care that you want to go to Alaska? Okay, so... Yes, this comes up a lot, and I have personally engaged in arguments with friends about this very topic. Same. No, your phone is not listening to you. Uh, there are things in place, technological things in place in terms of the frameworks that Apple uses in iOS that prevent this kind of thing. If your phone were listening to you, if your phone had the microphone on with you not knowing about it, A, Apple would be very upset at any app that did that, especially one as big as Instagram. Uh, and B, there would be a significant security hole involved and Apple would move to patch that. So surreptitious listening, not a thing. The truth of this matter is actually, it's actually kind of scarier in some ways. Yes. Which is that these advertising companies build gigantic models and they know a lot about you. So the fact that you maybe had during your conversation been like, oh, let me Google uh, trips to Alaska. Let me look up plane flight information or let me Google something to see. Let me, I'm Googling bears, yep. you know? It's like, oh, he, he's interested in bears. He must be interested in Alaska. <laughs> it is compiling all of this information. It's taking a huge amount of information because we all leave a ton of information behind on the net just by virtue of places that we go, sites that we look at, things that we search for on Amazon or Google or what have you. And it compiles all that. They have these gigantic profiles about you so that Instagram can serve ads very targeted, knowing exactly what the kind of things you are interested in. And and that is honestly, again, a little bit scarier than even the idea that your phone just heard Alaska and was like, let's serve ads about Alaska. <laughs> like That's very simple by comparison. The truth is somewhat more nefarious. So yeah, yeah uh, this is a thing. It's certainly a thing to be concerned about um but it's not like you have to have you know it's not like a spy movie where you're turning on running water in the background and hush <laughs> conversation about alaska getting your pan while you still yeah i um i have my stuff pretty locked up i use a lot of different content blockers and uh and and you know have my ip address rerouted and all this other stuff my partner however does not 
And so what has been really um, wild to see as of late is when um, an example is a, a like meal delivery service, right? He was researching a meal delivery service and we use, of course, the same Wi-Fi network. And right. so he had gone to the website for the meal delivery service. And within minutes, as I was scrolling through Instagram, I started seeing ads for that meal delivery service. And so... Mm-hmm. You also have to be mindful of how, yeah, everyone else's behavior in one IP that's, you know, your your ISP's yeah. connection to the web uh, plays a role in that. That is easy to I don't want to call them, like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to call that, them the weakest link, but you got to worry about, like, everybody else in your household who is engaged in this kind of stuff. Yeah, all of that is totally used to build a profile that can be shared. They know who you're, you know, who else is in your household, what those people are doing, and they can sort of cross-reference all that information. I mean, advertising's big business, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money. Uh, it's backed by big companies like Facebook and Meta and uh, Google. All of these uh, organizations, they want to be able to sell you ads because that's how they make money. And they're very, very good at it. They are indeed. And then one more uh, before we let you go. This is uh, something that really ground my gears. Um, I had a family member who purchased an iPhone uh, for the first time in a while. And while she was there, uh, the person at the desk... Um, told her that she should not charge her phone overnight um, and, in fact, should not leave her phone plugged in because leaving your phone plugged in will ruin the battery. And so I want to get the opinion of a uh, an iPhone, an iPhone knowledgeable individual and uh, yeah. uh, talk about charging our devices and if it's OK to charge them overnight. Yeah. Um, I, iPhone knowledgeable individual, IKI, a classic. <laughs> that's IKI you. Situation. Yeah, that's me. Um, so the short answer is this is grounded in a kernel of truth, or I should say a past kernel of truth. There are definitely historical problems with charge, charging batteries that have things like, oh, you might remember, oh, the, the battery has a memory or something. Yeah. The thing is, a lot of this applies to batteries that were around two decades ago. This mm-hmm. is not a problem with the current uh, like lithium-ion batteries that most of these devices are using. There are potential reasons why you may not want to charge things uh, too much. Uh, specifically, I think in a lot of cases, going through cycles can wear out a battery faster, and there is some degree of, uh, well, I mean, you know, energy usage and stuff like that, it also plays a part. Most of these devices now have sort of smart charging features. iPhones, for example, will charge up to a certain percentage uh, usually overnight, kind of like a, a slower charge, and then we'll charge like it, it, based on learning when you use it, we'll charge to full capacity by the time, say, you get up in the morning. Um, th- there is no real concern about wearing out the battery or, or using too many battery charging cycles in a modern iPhone. This this sort of power management stuff is very, very smart. Apple has taken a lot of time and energy to make sure that it's smart. And in fact, they've gotten in trouble in the past by trying to sort of manage battery life versus <laughs> performance. So I would not have any concerns about leaving your phone charging overnight. And I say that as somebody who leaves his phone charged overnight Same. all the time. Uh, so, yeah, better you have the phone charge that you need when you need it than worrying too much about uh, future Dan. He's someday going to have a have to replace his iPhone. Guess what? You're also probably going to replace your iPhone before it's a real problem. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan Morin, thank you for helping us bust that f- bust that fun. Oh. Uh, we appreciate you. And of course, folks can head to sixcolors.com to check out your work. But where else should they go to keep up with what you're doing? 
Uh, I post pretty regularly on Mastodon. I'm dmorin at zeppelin.flights. You can also find me on bluesky at dmorin.com. And all of my writings, novels, podcasts are available at dmorin.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks, guys. All righty. Up next, we've got Jason Howell's story of the week. Can you guess what it's about? Hmm. Is it maybe about AI? It hmm. might be. No, it's about Gen Z. Whoa, oh, okay. And AI. Oh, okay. <laughs> there are lots of letters involved. Yes. Then. <laughs> Before we do get to that story, though, let me take a moment to tell you about our next sponsor. It's IT Pro TV, now ACI Learning. ACI Learning covers all your audit, cybersecurity, and information technology training needs. They are the trainers you want to go to. Our listeners, they know the name IT Pro TV is one of our trusted sponsors for the last decade. As part of ACI Learning, IT Pro TV, now IT Pro, has elevated its highly entertaining, bingeable, short format content with new episodes added daily. ACI Learning's personal account managers will be with you every step of the way. You can fortify your expertise with access to self-paced IT training videos, interactive practice labs, and certification practice tests. One user shares, quote, it's an excellent resource, not just for theory, but labs incorporated within the subscription. It's fantastic. I highly recommend the resource and top class instructors. ACI Learning's practice labs let you test and experiment before deploying new apps or updates without compromising your live system. MSPs absolutely love it. If you're ready to bring your team along, visit our special link and fill out ACI's form. Twit listeners receive at least 20% off an IT Pro Enterprise solution and can reach up to 65% for volume discounts depending on the seats you need. The audience asked and ACI delivered just in time to wrap up your annual CPE, ACI is re-releasing their entire audit catalog in shorter, easier-to-digest versions. That means your CPE exams for each course will now be faster, too. Plus, check out their audit courses and lab releases, including Certified Information Systems Auditor and CompTIA Security Plus. Get the full scoop on how ACI can help you navigate the audit world by visiting acilearning.com slash blog. Learn more about ACI Learning's premium training options across audit, IT, and cybersecurity readiness at go.acilearning.com slash twit. For individuals, use code twit30 for 30% off a standard or premium individual IT pro membership. That's go.acilearning.com slash twit. And we thank you, ACI Learning, for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly. All right, back from the break. That means it's time for your story. So this uh, show is usually made up of four major things, okay. which makes it really easy to break down into chunks and understand kind of the uh, the amount of of, to- of certain topics. This week, I occupy 50% of the AI content of today's show. You do. Because you, you didn't choose AI stories, I and I commend you for that, because sometimes it's really hard to yeah, do. Yeah, they're all AI in stories. In this day and age. Anyways, um, I also occupy 100% of the stories that involve Gen Z, which is what <laughs> yes. we're going to talk about. So, um, artificial intelligence, duh, it's a big deal and we all know that but who is adopting a generative ai the most right now i think i've already spoiled the ending here could it be gen z it could possibly be that but what am i even talking about here ofcom uh did a study called the ofcom uh online nation 2023 report it's focused on the uk that really looked at the nation's online lives and you know there are a whole bunch of facets of this report but the 
the area of the report that I found really interesting is kind of the the generational breakdown of who's really not just using generative AI right now, one year after the birth of ChatGPT, but who's um, you know who's who's you know, at what age are they being exposed to it, mm-hmm. and like. Yeah, are they using it, but are they, like, adopting it? Are they, like, really investing their time and integrating it into their lives, and who is that? Well, the study found out that four out of five five online teens ages 13 to 17 in the U.K. use generative AI tools and services. That's four out of five. 80% of teens between the age of 13 and 17 are using these tools, at least based on those that they review, that they, you know, that they... uh, What are they doing with it? Well, I can can tell you. Yes, I've got that information. Um, 40% of the 7 to 12-year-old users of the internet, which this is really crazy, 40% are using generative AI. Yeah. 7 to 12-year-olds. I mean... I have to imagine that if it's a if it's a age range seven to twelve that you know it's probably the later I'm guessing yeah the, more of that most of that forty percent is is from the later you know twelve years old okay that makes a little more sense but still yeah generative AI is not is not perfect and I I would not say that there's much that I've seen in generative generative AI that is appropriate for children especially when we're trying to figure out like what it's capable of and yeah uh, kind of I, i'm yeah that's actually a little concerning little concerning there um so my generation is generation x mm-hmm. that's the official generation of of jason um apparently we are really are more reluctant to use generative ai um 16 and up see 31% use. So if you're over the age of 16 and, you know, Generation X is, of course, part of that, uh, 31% of the people that responded to this report actually use it in some way, shape, or form. Um, And these users, so that would be users like me, users like you, I guess, because you're in that you're in that age bracket as well, obviously, uh, using ChatGPT, using MidJourney, Bing Chat, Dolly, and Snapchat My AI, which is an oh, AI that I have the not used. One. But apparently it's interesting that you say it's the worst one because Snapchat My AI is the most popular service used by kids and teens in the UK. Why do you say it's the worst one? I've not used it. It's the worst one from, uh, I think we I did a story of the week on it. Yeah. Um, it is uh, most likely to uh, like teach kids about use like talk to kids about using drugs and alcohol and it had all of these other concerns that that made it um it just didn't have good protections in place guardrails thank you yeah didn't have the guardrails in place to protect it especially if if kids are using it and and i'm sure that the technology company is saying yeah but our service you know we've got age limits you have to be 13 or older or whatever that age is so many of of the kids are you know are falsifying what their age is in order to use these things. Um, 51% of seven to 17 year olds use Snapchat, my AI, uh, predominantly, um, online girls using it more than boys, 75%, uh, when compared to 25% of boys using that. So that's interesting. Well, cause so I'm, I'm assuming is, is it, is the Snapchat, my AI, it's more like image, 
image related stuff? I honestly, I thought it was just a thing you talked to. I didn't even think yeah. it did images. I thought okay. you just chatted with it. Interesting. I, but, That's uh, but so fascinating. I don't, I don't know that yeah. for sure. I, 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 I'm realizing now I apparently need to fire up my Snapchat app and, and use this <laughs> because my my 13-year-old daughter has been really pushing hard to get onto Snapchat because, you know, all the friends in my swim team are on Snapchat and I'm left out of the conversation. And we're like, you know what? We got to wait a little bit longer. So I think we're waiting until she turns 14. But even then, like, I want to know about this. Yeah, you know, yeah. this is this is a little, little bit concerning. I, she keeps saying, it's just like iMessage. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> for, I know it's not. For older, for people who are... Um, what I guess you would now call old Gen Zs. Yeah. They're like on the millennial cusp. Yeah. Because uh, I'm a young millennial. And then right below me are the old Gen Zs mm-hmm. that are on the millennial cusp. These people all ignore that AI thing. Uh, sorry, anecdotally. Mm-hmm. From everyone that I've talked to, they don't, they're like, why is this even here? Get rid of it. I don't want it. In Snapchat, to be clear. In Snapchat. In okay, Snapchat. yeah. Sorry, I was like, I, wow, I, that I goes counter to this yeah, report. In, in Snapchat, yeah. they don't want anything to do with it. Interesting. It's okay. the younger Gen Z that are not on the millennial cusp that I guess are making more use of that. Well, yeah. And, and this, you know, saying seven to 17 year olds, which I mean, that's not even Gen Z. What, what, what is the so, what is, seven to 17 would be? That Gen is Gen Z? Z? Yeah. Okay. So Gen Z is okay. All right. All right. I'm, I'm understanding more. Um, Let's see here. Those 16-year-olds that are using it um, are 23% of the group are predominantly using ChatGPT. That's interesting to me because 16-year-olds, you're probably writing a lot of papers. Yeah. Probably doing a lot of homework that that you uh, can get some assistance on. Yeah. I'm less Less surprised about that. Yeah. In that case, I'm like, I know exactly what they're doing with it. Yes, exactly. But that's so interesting how, how potent that tool is. Yeah. For that time and for education and the the capabilities of that. And, you know, here we are again, we're one year into the GPT um, experiment Mm -hmm. and we have yet to really see what education means truly in a longer form with tools like these in place, you know, it's easy to go like, well, then they can't use the tools. Well, that's, that's not going to happen. Tools are like, going to be there. They're going to be there. They're going to be used. How does that impact education? Yes. I don't, I'm not, and I'm not even saying these tools mean education is, you know, less effective. No, I just think it, it has new ways to morph and we have new ways to learn. And this has been something that's actually gone on even before GPT came along, basically since we've had the generation that has grown up with devices. There's been a look at how education needs to be changed and shaped in such a way that it is, because if, if I have access to most information, then it's not necessarily as important to have all of those stats and facts in the brain. And instead it becomes about uh, sourcing, understanding like what's good information, what's not uh, breaking down how to find, how to research and that those skills become much more important along with, you know, of course you've got to have the basics and you learn those at a younger age, but as you get into high school and you know, you're, you're learning some history report, for or his you know section of history but if i have something that could always give me that information is it necessarily necessary to have that you know here and that's the question right Mm -hmm. so there's been kind of already some shaping even before gpt uh, the whole uh, generative ai craze came along and i think this is just going to uh almost make them have to put pedal to the metal in terms of how education gets reshaped how yeah how do we modernize it to keep up with with the actual like core technology skills Mm -hmm. 
that when we are adults and we enter the workforce and everything, we have to pull from that that skill base. That's just the way it is. And but at the same time, in order for us to get a foundational understanding and knowledge of how we feel about our place in the world and, you know, the the atrocities that have happened and to do better and everything. Yeah, there is a level of knowledge that we have to experience and, and undergo that isn't just give me the answer. Right. That is more I need to know it on know it on a deeper level so I can really kind of have that conversation with myself on how I feel about it and what how I can do differently if I'm in a situation that pulls from that that bucket. Um and then the report of of course it doesn't just focus on kids. Um, two third, but, but, uh, you know, I think that's, what's really important here. Um, little surprise that almost two thirds of them use it for fun and experimentation more than anything else. So there is a little bit of that work, but a lot of it is about, you know, re recognizing that this is a very current new type of tool. It can do very seemingly magical things using words to create an image, you know, and if you're not an artist, like that feels like magic to, to a degree that gives you the ability to do something you feel like you couldn't have done before. Yeah. I think what that takes me to is, you know, thinking about a reality where seven to 17 year olds are using and playing around with these tools and, and, you know, probably, the the really kind of technology minded ones aren't just using the chat GPT interface. They're installing the open source, you know, uh, models on their machine. They're mm -hmm. figuring out. And then, you know, with that comes the good they can and the bad. Can, yeah. Um, and, you know, that just reminds me of the story of the school kids who <sighs> use generative AI to create deep fake porn of their classmates. And, that's when I start to kind of close up a little bit and be yeah. like, oh, God, yeah. like there's not a whole lot that can be done about that because it is open source. And I don't know that I necessarily believe that we need to drop the hammer and like kill these tools like, right. no. because that can happen. But, oh, it just makes me so uncomfortable it, to think about that. <laughs> it needs to have more light shown. Upon yeah. It. More understanding about that, I suppose. Yeah. And, rather than rather than, you know, you you relegate it to some dark corner and say yeah. it's banned and, and it's, it's done it's in more, hiding. Yeah. It's done in hiding. I think yeah. more education about the tools is actually better and you start to see how it can be used in ways that are helpful and mm -hmm. that, yeah, I, I, yeah. And I think tucking it away or saying, no, 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 don't pay right. any attention to that. That it just doesn't help. causes an allure, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. If, if anything, it, it makes it worse. Um, one final point kind of along this line, though, um, you might think that kids don't care much about the in negative impacts of this because they're so entranced by the, the kind of the magic of it all and the potential of what you can do with it. But apparently, according to the report, that's not true. 67 percent, at least age 16 to 24, worry about the societal implications of all these tools. So interesting kind of thought fodder for Absolutely. you know take a look at some some reports like this i, I have no idea enjoy where it takes me and kind of you know analyzing and understanding where we are with the data right now and what that actually means about the world around us yeah and i mean i thought that it was the whole thing was going to be you grew up with a screen in your hand but for kids being born right now, it might be you grew up from day one with yes. some sort of generative AI system yeah. that, you know, I mean, and it's only going to keep. Right. Growing. And whatever that turns into, if we've seen one year of. Yeah. Of really hardcore, intense, you know, development where GPT became went from zero knowledge to a household name. 
then just think about what what you a know. time to be alive yeah well and in, 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 in to a certain degree it really does i don't think it's hyperbole to say that it does at least to me anyways i'm sure many people would argue this um it does feel to a certain degree kind of like when the internet was opened up in the 90s and everybody finally got access to this thing and mm-hmm. and we started to use it and we were like man what is what is capable now did not used to be capable. Like what is the world going to look like in 10 years? Yeah. And that's what I find my mind going yep. with AI Me too. Uh, developing right now. It's, Me it's too. very exciting and uh, a little, this doesn't a little scary, feel... but, but I, I think we'll figure that stuff out. There was always still with, you know, virtual reality, which I guess has been tried throughout a bunch of different times and mixed reality has always still felt, I've never gotten the level of, how is this going to truly change everything? Yeah. As I have with this. Yeah. So I think this this does feel different. It Indeed. does. Indeed. All right. Coming up next, if you have any unused Gmail accounts, you are definitely going to want to hear what Micah has to say. Important information. Don't miss it. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Discourse, the online home for your community. It's the online home, one of the online homes for our community, actually. We have a Discourse here at Twit. We love it. For over a decade, Discourse has made it their mission to make the Internet a better place for online communities. Discourse is open source. It's trusted by more than 20,000 online communities, including some of the largest companies in the world. By harnessing the power of discussion, there's real-time chat, AI, of course. Discourse makes it easy to have meaningful conversations and collaborate with your community anytime and anywhere. And if you happen to be in a place where you're ready to create a community, well, you can visit discourse.org slash twit. Make sure and go there. You'll get one month free on all self-serve plans and uh, check it out for yourself. And there are many ways that you can do that, whether you're just starting out or if you want to take your community that you already have to the next level, there are a number, you know, a couple of different plan options that you can choose from. There's a basic plan for a private invite only community. There is a standard plan if you want unlimited members and a public presence. And then a business plan for active customer support communities. One of the biggest advantages to actually creating your own community with this course is that you own your data. Uh, So you're always going to have access to all of your conversation history. Discourse will never sell your data to advertisers. So it's, it's truly yours. Discourse gives you everything you need in one place. Make Discourse the online home for your community and uh, do it by visiting this URL, discourse.org slash twit. Go there. You'll get one month free on all self-serve plans. That is discourse.org slash twit. And we thank Discourse for their support of Tech News Weekly. I know I know that I have unused Gmail accounts and I'm like, well, I, I got I to gotta do something <clears throat> about that, I think. Yeah, so uh, as we record this show on Thursday, November 30th, uh, those of you tuning in, hopefully, uh, or or listening to this today on Thursday, November 30th, are getting an alert in time because tomorrow, uh, which would be Friday, December 1st, uh, marks the time at which Google will begin to delete Google accounts that have remained inactive for at least two years. If you have a Google account and you have not used it in some way in two years, it will be deleted. And what's more, Google will continue to remove accounts that reach two years of inactivity. This isn't a simple, uh, you lose your email kind of thing either. This is once it's deleted, any items that were stored in this Google account 
Google Photos, uh, Google Drive, Google anything, all of that's going to be gone and cannot be recovered. So if you've if you have accounts out there that are Google accounts and you haven't logged in, then you're going to want to log in and make that account active again because you or or you know if you just want to migrate data out of there, then you can do that as well. Um, this was something that uh, Google has essentially tried to uh, correct some of its some of the the, the uh, prevalence, I guess, of spam and other types of, of issues where maybe you had a Google account that you hadn't used in a long time, but it was tied to an account that you use. And so then the password gets reset and the bad actor gets access to that Google account. Or, I mean, there are any number of, of ways that these old accounts might get used in some way that's not great. And so that is why Google uh, enacted this. Now, this was back in... Um, May that the company announced this. So there has been, you know, mm-hmm. long, a long line of, of notification. Hey, this is upcoming. This is going to happen. Uh, it says old unused email accounts probably don't have, or actually this was, um, I, I thought this was the quote from Google, but it talks about um, why these accounts are maybe not, not great to have around. Uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal report. It says, Old unused email accounts probably don't have multi-factor. They probably don't have the most secure passwords and are off uh, too often wide open to bad actors. So again, you know, if you set this account up a long time ago, you haven't used it since you ever thought about it since <laughs> there's every chance that you did your, you know, monkey one, two, three password there <laughs> and that uh, you, you know, you, you didn't set up multi-factor authentication. So those uh, accounts, if you had an, a Gmail account attached to them, you would get an email. Um, or if you had any account that's kind of like a backup email attached to it, you would get an email there saying, hey, we're planning on closing this account down. Be aware of this. Um, and this, I think, is interesting. Google says that after the account is deleted, the Gmail address tied to that account Cannot be used again. Good. So yes, it's not going to get re you know introduced into the pool of possible email addresses. No, yeah. um, it won't be able to be used. You won't be able to go in and create an account and say, "Hey, this was mine before, so I want to have this back." Yes. So you won't get that email address back yourself, but also no one else will get that uh, Gmail account. It's not either. like a domain name. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yes. And suddenly you get the the email address and you start receiving all the bank statements from the previous. Right. You know, yeah. That's not happening. I'm so happy that that's the case. And I couldn't imagine Google not doing that. Right. That's if how they, it should be. But absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And it's you know it's not like a, a, a t- uh, t- X formerly known as Twitter handle um, where those can sometimes get recycled and, and reused. In in that case, you know, it's not as much of a concern as you said as having an email account that can oh be tied God, to so I many things. That's awful. Yeah. Um, if you set up an account through your work, your school, or some other basically Google kind of um, I can't, I can't think of what Google calls that now, the Google suite accounts or whatever, the business accounts, mm-hmm. those, this policy doesn't apply to those. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. I mean, most likely because you're still paying for it in theory, right? It, it doesn't just get to exist uh, without someone paying for it. So um, ultimately, this is just a little 
warning, a little bit of a, a public service announcement that if you have old Gmail accounts or if you think you might have old Gmail accounts, it's time to climb through your password manager or your password memo book or whatever to see. Go in, log in and use something like Google Takeout to pull everything out of there if you're OK with getting rid of the account um, or if you do want to keep it, then maybe you should you know, send an email to someone else from it. I think at the time, uh, the recommendation was to upload a video to your, to the YouTube attached to the Google account. That's right. I forgot about that. And then just leave it unlisted. Yeah. Because Google will had said not too long ago, probably in the last year that they would not delete a YouTube account that has videos uh, yes. listed on it. Right? Yeah, because I guess the idea there is that maybe at one point you did um, make a YouTube and you have this like history of what this actually does apply to me now that I quite literally had not thought about this. But there's yeah. when I was in high school, I did a web show that I'm not naming so you can all go and watch it and laugh um and i'll ask you after the show yeah maybe maybe i'll tell you so uh this web show i haven't look if marquez brownlee could do it (laughs) so could you micah all of his first videos are up (laughs) i and i think they're i don't think i even have them unlisted i think they're just available but um what what I'm realizing is that I have not logged into that account for a long time, but I would hate for those videos to go away. Yeah, of course. It's still like a part of it's it's some it played some role in being where I am today. So, um, yeah, those are still out there and I haven't logged in. So it's good that, you know, Google said, OK, when it comes to YouTube stuff. So if for some reason you feel like you need to hold on to it. Although I am encouraging you, if you don't need it, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Yeah, all it's doing is clogging up your your password manager. Yeah. And I, I speak from experience. <laughs> Google, <laughs> I have Google, some in there that I need to just let go, and I'm going to just let them go. But I not only do I need to let them go, I need to remove them from my password manager because sometimes when I go to like log into yeah, Google, you, it's, it's like, like this all huge seven list. Of them. Yeah. Like, I, I use five of these, maybe, maybe, you know. Oh, man. So, yes, um, let it go if you can. But if it is something you need to keep or want to keep, then uh, you may consider posting an unlisted video. I don't think you can post a private video and have, I think it needs to be unlisted. Yeah. I don't quite recall what the um, specific rule is on that in particular. But, yeah, I would just hate it if somebody, you know, had some Google Drive documents or something that then got uh, removed. Because once it's gone... It's gone. Yeah. So get out there, get your account saved if you need to. Otherwise, let it go. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the better approach. We talked about this uh, yesterday on This Week in Google, and uh, I completely forgot about the YouTube video thing. So my suggestion there was, you know, set yourself a calendar reminder, log in every year, I, I, or I think it might even be every two years, but mm-hmm. just do yourself a favor. Yeah. Like, just keep it safe. Just keep it safe. Log in a, every year. And, you know, I even, I would even log in and like send myself an email. That's just yeah. to, like, here's an action. Do like an logging action. in is great, but the action I know is going to be a signal, mm-hmm. um, even though they say it would be, but this is even better. Like you post a video, have it unlisted. I would still probably end up logging in though, just to be yeah, sure. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah just, for sure. I would, I would hate to lose any of that information, any of that data that I really need. So good reminder. We are at the end of this episode. We have no more tips and tricks for you this week. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we do have more for you next time. Tech News Weekly uh, records every Thursday, twit.tv slash TNW. You can actually go there and subscribe to our podcast through the magic of podcasting RSS. And uh, all of our new episodes will just appear like magic for you as if you had to do nothing at all, but you did. You subscribed and that was important. So thank you for doing that.
All right. And if you would like to get all of our shows ad free, we've got a way for you to do that. It's called Club Twit. If you join Club Twit at twit.tv slash Club Twit, $7 a month, $84 a year, you will get some great goodies. Get some great goodies. You get every single Twitch show with no ads. It's just the content because you, in effect, are supporting the show. So you uh, get to see it all in its full glory. You also gain access to the Twit Plus bonus feed that has extra content you won't find anywhere else behind the scenes, before the show, after the show. Special Club Twit events get published there. So new people who join get this huge back catalog of great stuff all in that Twit Plus bonus feed. Uh, and stuff that we've you know talked about on air that you're going, oh, I would really like to. You finally make that purchase. Now you can see all of that stuff. And you gain access to the Club Twit Discord. Discord. It's a fun place to go to chat with your fellow Club Twit members and also those of us here at Twit. Uh, it has a live stream that includes more than the public live stream. So you can see kind of as the show is getting set up a little bit after the show is over, that kind of stuff um, is all available in the discord and, you know, just special events when we uh, are recording them. They also are there uh, live in the discord along with all of that. Yes, it doesn't stop there. You also gain access to some club twit exclusive shows, including the untitled Linux show, which is as you probably guessed, a show all about Linux. Uh, Hands on Windows, which is a short format show from Paul Thorat that covers Windows tips and tricks. Hands on Mac, which is a short format show from me, Micah Sargent, that covers Apple tips and tricks. And Home Theater Geeks, which is a show from Scott Wilkinson uh, that has all things to do with the home theater. Interviews, reviews, questions answered, all sorts of great stuff. And we have Jason Howell's AI Inside, which yes, is that. about artificial intelligence. Big surprise. Woo! Um, and so again, that's at twit.tv slash club twit. Uh, $7 a month, $84 a year. If you'd like, you can pay more than $7. That's some folks were like, hey, this seems like a really good deal. Love to give you more. You can. But the price is $7. Uh, and it's a great way to support the stuff we do here on the network. Uh, we keep seeing new people joining every day. That's been fantastic. Love it. Thank you for your support. Again, twit.tv slash club twit. If you'd like to follow me online, I'm at Micah Sargent at many a social media network where you can head to chihuahua.coffee. That's C-H-I-H-U-A-H-U-A.coffee where I've got links to the places I'm most active online. Uh, check out iOS Today, the show I record on Tuesdays with Rosemary Orchard where we cover Apple stuff. It's all sorts of um, all sorts of stuff. Questions answered. Everything. Um, you can also watch Hands on Mac, which publishes on Thursdays after Tech News Weekly. If you're a Club Twit member, and on Sundays you can watch Ask the Tech Guys, uh, the show where Leo Laporte and I uh, take your tech questions live on air and do our best to answer them. This Sunday will be my last solo host of the show for a while. Um, so be sure to tune in on Sunday and hang out and watch that if you'd like to. Uh, Jason Howell, what about you? Well, um, I'm, you know, I'm here every Thursday. I do AI Insight every Thursday as well with Jeff Jarvis. Actually have one here coming up in about an hour. We have Reed Albergati as our guest from Ooh, nice. to talk all about the open AI stuff because, man, that story just keeps getting more and more interesting. Uh, but you can get that through the club, of course. Um, and then actually this Sunday, I am filling in for Leo as lead host of Twit this week in tech. Nice. So it'll be, it'll be me, Abra Alhiti, um, Rich Demuro, and why am I suddenly blanking on the last, it's a CNETer. 
it, it ended up being a total CNET oh, alumni CNET. episode. Uh, Tim Stevens. That's right. Tim Stevens. So I'm really looking forward to that. We're all at one point in our career from CNET or currently at CNET. So that should be a lot of fun. That's this Sunday. And then you'll see Leo back on the network next week, all shiny and new. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing Leo again. Um, but as for me, if you want to find all the things that I'm up to, just go to raygun.fun. That's your place, your one place to remember the rhyme and go there and subscribe to uh, you know all the different social places that I am and the shows and all that stuff. Um, big thanks to everyone who always helps us do this show each and every week. John Slinina, John Ashley. We've got you know Burke behind the scenes testing people. Sometimes Anthony fills in. It takes a village, and we appreciate it, and we appreciate you for watching and listening and subscribing. We'll see you next time on Tech News Weekly. Have Bye-bye. a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. Snowflakes. Yes, Snowflake White. Come join us on This Week in Enterprise Tech Expert Coast and I talk about the enterprise world. And we're joined by industry professionals and trailblazers like CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, every acronym role plus IT pros and marketeers. And we talk about technology, software plus services, security, you name it, everything under the sun. You know what? I learn something each and every week, and I bet you you will too. So definitely join us. And of course, check out the twit.tv website and click on This Week in Enterprise Tech. Subscribe today. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.